before we get started, I want to remind you that uh, we still have some CDs uh, that we're handing out there. There's three of them so far. More to come, Lord willing. Uh, if you haven't gotten those, they're back there on the table, free for the taking. And then also, um, just want to remind you that if you've taken a book and you intend to uh, donate toward that book, please bring your money because we're kind of short on that deal. So I sent out an email reminder about that, but I just wanted to remind you about that again. Uh, there's a basket back there where that you can put the money in, so please do that. And if you have a little extra, you might want to toss that in too for those who can't afford it. Then also, um, today we have new handouts, um, which are number 71, number 73, and then there are some questions uh, where it says questions continued. Okay, so questions number 24 through 44. So there's three handouts today, okay? Number 71, number 73, and then questions number 24 through 44. Okie dokie. Everybody got that? We are going to be going over all those today, Lord willing. Okay. So with that, I'm going to go ahead and pray. Our God and Father, Lord, we honor you and we bless you this day. We thank you, creator of all that is. We praise you. And we thank you for your goodness and your mercy to us. Dear God, we are grateful for the cross. We are grateful, Lord, for the life of our Lord Jesus and all that you have worked through him. We praise you and we bless you for such wonderful good news that you have given to us in Christ Jesus our Lord. And God, I pray that as we study these words of Scripture, that you would embed them in our hearts and minds. That God, you would just write them indelibly so that we would recall them continually day by day. That we might abide in your love. That we might abide in your truth. That God, our mouth might continually be filled with your praises for all that you have done for us. We pray, Lord, that as we learn and we grow in these things, that you would make us good gospel ministers, even a kingdom of priests unto you, O God. And Lord, we just thank you uh, for all the good things that you are working in our lives by your blessed Holy Spirit. We thank you for the privilege of being sons and daughters in your house, and God, even the very dwelling place <clears throat> by your Spirit. We thank you, Lord, uh, for all the things that we face in our life. God, the good and the bad, that you're working them all for our good in the end. And we praise you. Lord, we are grateful for all that you are to us and all that you're doing in us. And so, Lord, as we look to the word, we pray that you would give us eyes to see and ears to hear. God, hearts to receive and, and uh, hearts that are eager to do what is good. We thank you for your kindness to us because of Jesus' holy cross. Amen. Okay. So, of course, we're back in our study in, in Romans. 
want to thank Ryan Bobbin for filling in for me last week. I, I know he did a good job because he always does a good job. Amen. Amen. And um, grateful for uh, for Ryan and for his efforts there. I want to uh, dive right back into this passage. We've been looking at Romans chapter three, verses nineteen through twenty-eight, and so far we have uh, gotten through um, verse twenty-two um, in our um, exposition here. And I just want to just briefly review those things. If, if you're looking with me at Romans chapter 3, verses 19 through 22, that's the ground we've covered so far. It reads like this. This is the word of God. But now apart from the law, the righteousness of God has been manifested, being witnessed by the law and the prophets, even the righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ for all those who believe, For there is no distinction. I'm sorry. I meant to read all the way back from verse 19. Now we know that whatever the law says, it speaks to those who are under the law, so that every mouth may be closed and all the world may become accountable to God. Because by the works of the law, no flesh will be justified in his sight. For through the law comes the knowledge of sin. But now apart from the law, the righteousness of God has been manifested being witnessed by the law and the prophets, even the righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ for all those who believe, for there is no distinction. And so, as we've been going through this passage, uh, you might remember that verse 19 was Paul's concluding remark from the section going all the way back to chapter 1, verse 18, all the way through chapter 3, verse 18, he concludes that whole passage by making this statement that every mouth may be closed and all the world become accountable to God. And Paul had established that both the Jews and the Gentiles were guilty before God, were worthy of God's wrath, and and were subject to God's judgment. And so then um, he, he, uh, he sums that up by stating that the law of God is actually that which condemns and presents the standard by which God judges. And so that Paul uh, uh, explains to us in verse 20 that by the works of the law no one can be justified because it's through the law that comes the knowledge of sin. So in other words, when any one of us looks at the law of God, we see very clearly that we have sinned. And it's, it's through the law of God that we know that we have sinned because sin is a transgression of the law of God. And so the law has these purposes. And, and um, we know that uh, the law does not justify us. This is what Paul says in verse 20. He says, by the works of the law, no flesh will be justified. Why is that? Well, because nobody has kept the law. Instead, everyone has transgressed the law and violated the law, which has made them guilty as a sinner and condemned them to to God's wrath. So, by default, every person that's ever lived, apart from the Lord Jesus Christ, is under the wrath of God because of the law of God. Because the law of God has established perfectly God's perfect standard of righteousness, and it has shown us, 
right? That every one of us is a sinner. This is what Paul says. You can't be justified by the law. Rather, through the law comes the knowledge of sin. So when we see the law, we see what sin is. It defines it very clearly for us. And we all realize then what a hopeless and desperate situation that we're in. All have sinned, Paul says in verse 23, and fallen short of the glory of God. Everybody has sinned. The whole world is accountable to God. And every mouth is closed. In other words, nobody has a word to justify themselves. Okay? Nobody can justify themselves before God. Because the law has closed every mouth. How has it done that? By showing everyone that we are all sinners. We've all transgressed the law. Okay? Now, the problem with that is the wages of transgressing the law is the wrath of God. It's death. And so we've all reaped or earned this wage that now we are accountable to God and under His wrath because of our sin. And this is a very hopeless and desperate situation because even if we were to repent now and fully change our ways so that our life became a model of perfect obedience from this day forward, we still have all the penalty of sins previously committed to our charge. Amen? So there's no way that we can possibly justify ourselves by the works of the law. You with me? Why? Because we've already sinned. And we are therefore not justified. Instead, we are rather condemned. We are condemned because of sin. Okay. So then, this is exactly Paul's point. And having established that in the first three chapters of Romans, he kind of brings us to this conclusion and says, okay, now the whole world is guilty before God. Right? So he's given us the bad news. The bad news, we're all in big trouble. Everybody's in big trouble, right? Both the Jew and the Gentile are in big trouble. And you remember in Paul's language, when he talks about the two groups of people, Jew and Gentile, he's talking about everybody in the whole world. Because in Paul's world, there's two kinds of people, Jews and Gentiles, right? And to any religious Jew, there's two kinds of people, right? Jews and Gentiles. So Paul is simply stating that we're all in big trouble before God, we're held accountable to God, and we've all seen through the law of God that we're guilty of sin. And so this is the stage that Paul sets so that he can begin to talk about God's uh, courtroom and God's courtroom proceedings and how God justifies sinners, okay? Because that's what we all are. And the topic that Paul is going to take up here is the good news of Jesus Christ, namely, that God has now justified the ungodly through Christ Jesus and his redemption. And that that justification is received by the sinner by faith, okay? And that this happens simply by the gratuitous nature of God. It is by grace, okay? And so, with that, he says, but now, apart from the law. Now, remember this. The righteousness of God is apart from the law. Okay? Apart from the law, the righteousness of God has been manifested. Remember that it's also a historical reality. It's something that's already happened. 
The righteousness of God has been manifested. It's already happened. It's objective. It's something we look back at in history and we see that God has already accomplished, even at the time of the writing of Romans. The righteousness of God, he says, has been manifested. It's a historical reality. And he says this has been witnessed by the law and the prophets. And of course we talked about that at length. That simply means that the whole Bible, right, testifies or witnesses that this righteousness of God has been manifested apart from the law. Okay? And then he goes on, verse 22, and he describes what that is. He says, even the righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ for all those who believe. For there is no distinction. And here's what Paul is saying. That this righteousness of God is through faith in Jesus Christ for all who believe. It's not by the works of the law that somebody is justified, but somebody possesses the righteousness of God through belief, through faith in Jesus Christ. And then he says that there's no distinction. What's he talking about there? Well, there's no distinction between Jew and Gentile. There's no distinction between race. But that God justifies those who believe no matter who they are. There's no distinction. Everyone who believes enters into the righteousness of God, or, if you will, possesses the righteousness of God. This is Paul's point in verse 22, that the righteousness of God is through faith. It's in Jesus Christ for all who believe. And remember, it's apart from the law. Okay? Now, that these, these things that Paul is setting the stage for are going to be the substance of the next several verses. And so we want to see that clearly. Kind of what Paul does in these four verses, 19 through 22, he kind of establishes the, the bad news and the good news of the gospel in, in kind of general terms. And then the next uh, six verses, he's going to spend explaining what he means there. Okay, He's going to repeat it. He's going to talk about it in depth. He's going to give several different repetitions of these things in various different ways. But if you will, here is the good news of the gospel. That now, apart from the law, the righteousness of God has been manifested. Even the righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ for all those who believe. And there's no distinction. Anyone who comes to Christ believing will be saved. Amen? Okay, then. So, that sets the stage for these verses where we pick up now. This will be on your handout on page 70. We're going to pick up at verse 23. And there, Romans 3.23, For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Here Paul repeats the point he had earlier established, that all have sinned and fall short of God's glory. That is of his glorious perfection which he requires in his law. Think about what Paul is saying here. He says, all have sinned, and then he kind of uses a parallelism. You know how there's what we call Hebrew parallelisms, right? And all through the Old Testament you, you see these things where they, they have a tendency to repeat things by using a different analogy, yet in the same context, right? The Proverbs are full of parallelisms. Well, this is what Paul is saying. He says, all have sinned, and then he describes that by saying, having fallen short of the glory of God. You see that? So that falling short of the glory of God is equivalent to sinning. Are you with me? 
And so Paul, here's what Paul is saying. Now, now, recognize this fact. Paul is simply repeating what he had established in the earlier three chapters. That he summarized in verse 19. What did he say? The whole world is accountable with a closed mouth, right? Uh, before God. And so here he repeats that same thing again. He says what? All have sinned. All have sinned. But he describes that by saying that they have fallen short of the glory of God. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Now think about that for a minute. They've fallen short. They haven't quite reached the goal. Right? They've missed the mark. They have not attained to. They have fallen short of what? Of God's glory. What is that? Well, that's his perfection. That's his glorious perfection which he requires in his law. This is why he was saying back in verse 20 that by the deeds of the law shall no flesh be justified. Why? Because they've all fallen short. None of them have fulfilled the law. In fact, they've all transgressed it. Amen? If you will, this is also a way to look at the two sides of the law. Remember that the the law has sins of omission and sins of commission, right? We talked about that by by saying it was the penal sanctions of the law as well as the preceptive requirements. That the law gave us specific guidelines and it said, do not do this. And those were the penal sanctions of the law by which there are penalties if you transgress. And then it also said at the same time, you should do this, right? And those are preceptive requirements that the law has. Well, think about what Paul's saying here. He's saying that all have sinned and incurred a penalty, having broken the penal sanctions of the law, and have fallen short of the glory of God, or have not actually met the preceptive requirements of the law. Are you with me? This is very clear in Paul's teaching. He understands these two sides of the law and how how the law condemns us on both sides. Because not only have we violated what it told us not to do, but we have not fulfilled what it told us to do. Are you with me? Okay, so here's another way for Paul to summarize the guilt of all mankind. To say that we've all sinned and transgressed the law and that we've all fallen short of meeting its requirements. We've all fallen short of the glory of God, he says. Notice the terms glory of God are used to speak of God's nature, which is equivalent to his holy law. You see, the law is simply an expression of the nature of God. And it it does it in a way that makes it very practical to our daily life. Right? So, when God writes uh, the Ten Commandments, right? And the first four commandments he gives are are in relation to man's relationship to God, and the last six commandments are in man's relationship to man, right? And uh, and there God is saying, love me and love your neighbor, right? Well, then he goes on to give all these commandments in the law that express how we do that, how we properly love God and how we properly relate to God and how we love our neighbor. Like, you know, for instance, the stuff in the law about, you know, your neighbor's donkey falling into a hole. What do you do, Right? You go help him, you know, and you leave, 
You leave your crops on the edge of the field so that the poor can glean, so they'll have something to eat, right? And these are expressions of the the loving character and nature of God, the loving uh, and caring provision that God provides, right? Even for the oppressed, right? And the hungry. And and if you will, the, the law of God is an expression of the character and the nature of God. And so... Many times in the scripture we will find these things summed up by using terms like the glory of God, okay? The glory of God is a way to to refer to the glorious perfection of the nature of God in all of its elements. Because the glory is the actual outshining or the brightness, the, the light that flows from the being of God because he's so holy and he's so perfect and he's so altogether righteous that it actually emits light from his being, right? And that light is the glory of God. And, and more than that, God, because of who God is, he's famous. God is famous in all the creation. And so when we talk about the glory of God, we speak about his high and exalted name. We speak about his, his exalted character above all other creatures. That God is, 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 uh, uh, he has a glory, if you will, among the nations, right? Or we might say, give God glory, man, right? And what do we mean? We mean, we mean give him honor, give him homage, exalt him, right? In your heart and in your mind, right? Bow the knee before God. Why? To give him glory, to give him the fame, the honor that's due his name, the dignity that belongs to him. Amen? And so, these are the kinds of things that Paul means when he speaks of the glory of God. Learn here that when we sin, we fall short of the glory of God. Yes, we fail to glorify God. You see, when we sin, we don't give God glory, do we? What do we do instead? We rebel. Right? We say, my will is more important than your will, God. That's what we say. Don't we? Think about what a treasonous act sin really is. Right? And so I wrote here, sin is a defamation of the glory of God and an offense to his holy perfection. Sin defames the glory of God. Sin says, I will refuse to honor you as God. We will not have this man to rule over us, they said of the Lord Jesus. Are you with me? And this is what sin is at its core. This is what was found in the heart of Satan that had him cast out of heaven. Okay? He was so proud in his own heart that he exalted himself above God. And and this is what sin is. It is a defamation of the glory of God. It is to cast a shadow over the glory of God in our own heart and in our own mind. Okay? You see, we can't actually... Uh, take God's glory away because God is in of his own essence all glorious. But what happens is in relation to us, what we do is we cast a shadow in our own hearts and minds of the glory of God. We take nothing away from God whatsoever. It, it's like a worm shaking his fist at a guy on the sidewalk with hiking boots. Are you with me? The, 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 the worm has absolutely no defenses whatsoever, right? Yet we shake our fist 
in the face of Almighty God. Right? And so, if you will, sin is a very treasonous thing. And Paul says that when we sin, we fall short of the glory of God. We fail to glorify God. Are you with me? And so, he, he repeats this point again. Because... He wants to establish that again before making the statement he makes in verse 24. So he says, All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God, being justified as a gift by His grace through the redemption which is in Christ Jesus. Okay? Now, I want you to see another Hebrew parallelism here. Alright? Look at verses 19 and 20, and 21 and 22. And then look how verse 23 corresponds to verse 19 and 20. And 24 corresponds to verse 21 and 22. You see that? Paul has repeated what he said in those four verses. And he summarized it again. And he's given us a little bit more insight into what he means. He's beginning to go a little deeper and explain a little more. So he establishes this contrast again. That all have sinned, right? But now he's going to talk about how we're justified, how this righteousness of God plays out in the good news of the gospel. And so he says there that even though we've all sinned and fall short of the glory of God, we are justified as a gift by his grace through the redemption which is in Christ Jesus. Okay? So he says, being justified as a gift by his grace. Now think about what Paul is saying. Think about how clear and certain these terms are. That even though we've sinned, we can be justified as a gift by His grace. Think about what Paul's saying. It's, it's something that's a gift. It's something that's gratuitous. It's something that we didn't merit. And what is it that we get? Justification. Justification. Here is Paul's explanation of the gratuitous and unmerited nature of God's free grace. I think this is a question on your questions there. Now he elaborates on the good news that all can be justified as a gift by his grace. Here is the gospel. That in spite of the fact that all mankind have sinned and fall short of the glory of God, they can be justified by God as a free gift. Because if it's a gift, it's what? It's free, right? That's what gift means. Amen? Okay then. So by free, we mean free to the one who receives it, but very costly to the one who gives it. Right? It's like a husband giving a wife a wedding ring, right? Or you, you, we could think of many examples, right? But the one who is the recipient of it, it's a free gift, right? But the one who is uh, presenting it is, it many times is very costly, right? Well, there could not have been a greater price paid for salvation, right? Yet the scripture says right here that it's a gift, so that for the one who receives it, it is free. It's a free gift. But for the one who provided it, it was very costly. Now this is what we mean when we speak about grace. Right? What do we mean by grace? Well, grace is unmerited 
not earned, and gratuitous, freely given. No one can earn the justification or righteousness of God because all have forfeited it by sinning against God and offending his glory, rebelling against his holy commands and spurning his threats to punish. So think about what's happening. We can't merit justification before God. Why? We've already forfeited, forfeited that by transgressing the law. So there's no longer any work we can do to be justified. We're already condemned. Right? So we can't earn this justification. Instead, God does what? He gives it freely, which means it's apart from us. Do you understand? It's a gift that God holds and possesses. Look here. Justification is a gift. It's an objective thing that God has that he gives as a gift by his grace. That's what the scripture says. And that this is apart from the works of the law. Okay? This is the gospel. This is what separates every true church from every false church. Okay? Justification is something that comes by faith in Christ. And it happens by the grace of God. God gives it freely. You cannot earn it. That's why every system of religion in the world that is based on some kind of works by which you attain to the favor of God is a false gospel. You cannot earn the favor of God. Instead, you have forfeited it by nature. Okay? That's why justification is a gift. And that's why this is the heart of the gospel. See, if we can deceive you at this point, if the devil can deceive you at this point into thinking that somehow you must merit your salvation before God, and he can tie a heavy load on your back for you to carry through some religious set of rituals, then you're no longer trusting Christ for salvation. You're trusting what? And Paul says if you do that, you're going to what? Fall short of the glory of God. Are you with me? Because there's only one who has attained to the glory of God. And it ain't you. Amen? Are you with me? So this is a very, very important thing to understand about the gospel. Okay? Therefore, justification is provided as a gift by grace only and not by any form of merit. You understand? Justification, being made right before God, being declared just in the sight of God, in God's courtroom, is something that is apart from works and is received as a gift by His grace. Period. Do you see that in verse 24? It's crystal clear, family. We're justified as a gift by His grace. Make no mistake about it. You understand that this means that when you enter into Christ through faith, that you have entered into the state of justification, and it is not about how good of a Christian you are for the rest of your days, that you'll earn the favor of God and somehow merit your way into heaven. If that's what you believe, you need to go back to the cross and get saved. Okay? Because you ain't going to get there. You're going to wind up condemned before God. Christ is the only means to be justified, and God gives Christ as a gift by His grace. 
It's freely given. If you try to merit it, you will slap God in the face. Are you with me? Okie dokie. This is why we say that salvation is by grace alone. You understand? It's a gift. That's the only way it comes. It's justification that comes as a gift. It's freely given by God. It's gratuitous. You don't earn it. It comes as a free gift. Okay? You can rest now. Are you with me? You can rest now. Christ has gone before us. He has lived the perfect life in our place. He has died to pay the penalty for our sins. It is finished. It's done. Receive it. You can receive this love of God. And it will set your heart free when you understand this. And this will empower your life now against sin. It will give you overcoming strength over sin because you will love God and you will be motivated by gratitude and not by some religious, religious form of attaining to God's favor. Okay? You understand what I'm saying? The motivation for living a Christian life in obedience apart from sin and for separation from sin is being thankful and, and, and filled with gratitude for what God has done. We don't want to sin against God. Why? Because He's freely saved us. You with me? Listen, if you're truly saved, you're going to hate sin. You're going to turn your back on sin. And that's going to be the evidence that you're truly saved. Okay? But getting saved and entering into that state of justification is something that happens when God gives you the free gift of Christ's righteousness. Are you with me? And family, it's a legal declaration. You understand the scene here is a courtroom. We're talking about judgment. We're talking about law. We're talking about justification. Are you with me? These are all legal terms. Justification is a, is a forensic term. It's talking about what happens in a courtroom. It's a declaration of the righteousness of God. Okay? So when someone enters into faith in Christ Jesus, this is what happens. God says, I declare them just on the basis of what Christ has done. Are you with me? It's not on the basis of what you've done. You simply receive the gift by faith. By believing and trusting, right? And that bears the fruit of repentance in your life. But the grace and the justification is the free gift of God. Amen? Okay. So then, the solas of the Reformation express the exclusive role of each one of, the, of these elements of salvation. Okay, this is on questions on your handouts. But you might be familiar with what we call the five solas. Okay? Or if you will, these are the five pillars of, of the Reformation, which in the Protestant Reformation were the points of argument between the Protestant Church and the Roman Church. Okay? And if you will, they were harping on these five main points. Alright? And those five main points are 
number one, sola scriptura. In other words, that the Bible itself, scripture, right, is the only rule of faith and practice. And it is the authority for faith and practice. We want to know what's right. We look to the scripture, right? Of course, the Roman church was maintaining, no, there's a higher authority than scripture. What is it? The tradition of the church, okay? So that was sola scriptura, right? Well, then we got into these three elements of salvation, right? Sola gratia, sola fide, sola Christus. Salvation is by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. And each one of those stands on its own and is filled with biblical teaching about what it means. Okay? But here it's described very clearly, right? Look what Paul says. He says that all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God, but are justified as a gift by His grace. Right? And he's already told us that this happens through faith in Christ Jesus. You understand? So, we're justified as a gift by God's grace only. In other words, there isn't any other way to be justified. It happens by the free gift of God's grace. Right? How do we receive it? Through faith. Sola fide. We receive that gift of justification by trusting in what God has done. Right? And, And if you will, what God has done is in Christ. It's Christ who is the object of that justification in, from God's side. You understand? God sees what Christ has done, and that is the basis on which he declares us just. Not because we're just in and of ourselves, but because Christ has justified us by his perfect life and his death on the cross. Are you with me? We're going to talk about that at length, but I want you to see these solas. Sola gratia, sola fide, sola Christus. Okay? Grace alone, faith alone, Christ alone. Okay? And then, of course, the last sola of the five is soli deo gloria, which means that everything, all of these things are summed up in the fact that it, it is all for the glory of God alone. Or let me sum it up this way. The chief purpose of God in everything that he has done is the manifestation of his glory and excellency as God. You remember us going through that lesson a couple years ago? God's chief purpose in everything he does is the manifestation of his glory. And so in all of salvation, okay, everything tends to the glory of God. Everything works for the glory of God. There isn't anything that's happening in the creation that does not ultimately wind up for the glory of God. Even sin ultimately glorifies God. It ends in damnation. And damnation glorifies God in many, many ways. More ways than one. Right? We talked about that at length back then. But the the point is just that soli deo gloria means that everything is for God's glory alone. Okay? So then, grace has its emphasis on God's part of salvation. Now think about what Paul's saying. All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Now who's he talking about? Well, all mankind, right? The Jew and the Gentile. They've all fallen short of the glory of God, but are justified as a gift by His grace. Grace has its emphasis on God's part of salvation, being the originator and the giver of salvation. Okay? So this is what we're saying. 
Justification is a gift that God gives. It's an objective thing that belongs to God that He gives to the sinner. Are you with me? This has emphasis on God's part. It's God's grace. Are you with me? We receive it. Okay? Now, this doctrine of grace alone gets very deep, and it gets very wide, right? And, and this is why I wrote here that this is why the doctrine of election is also inseparably tied to grace. Because, you see, God gives the gift to whom he wants to give the gift. It's his to give. When you give a gift, who do you give it to? Answer, whoever you want to. Are you with me? Thus the doctrine of election in very oversimplified terms. That'll probably get me in big trouble. But the point is simply this, that there, there's more to grace than just the fact that it's freely given, okay? But it's freely given by God. And God is free to give it to whoever he wants to, and he does do exactly that. Are you with me? So, but the point is just, he, he defines who that is here in the context, by the way, to all those who believe, right? <laughs> Are you with me? So it's, you know, there's, there's uh, 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 no distinction here. But whoever believes receives the gift. Amen? Okay, now I confused everybody. <laughs> but faith has its emphasis on the recipient of grace. So when we talk about salvation happening by grace alone, we're emphasizing God's part of the free gift given. When we say that it's received by faith alone, now we're emphasizing man's part. Okay, And man is the one who employs God-given faith in order to be justified. All right, So uh, grace has its emphasis, I'm sorry, faith has its emphasis on the recipient of grace, the sinner who receives the gift by faith. Faith is the conduit or the vehicle by which grace is received. That's a question on your hand out there. Faith is the conduit or the vehicle by which the grace is received. Okay? Like it says in Ephesians 2, 8, and 9, for by grace you have been saved through faith. So what's he saying? Well, by God's free gift, you have been saved, how? Through faith. By reaching out in repentance and grabbing the gift to possess it in trust. Are you with me? By grace you have been saved through faith, and that not of yourselves. It is the gift of God, not as a result of works, that no one should boast. Could Paul repeat this gospel in in any more certain terms than he has done? Are you with me? In Ephesians 2.8, again, he calls it the gift of God. It's a gift. It's not merited. God gives it freely. Okay? And then, of course, here he adds that no one should boast. You can't boast of your works before God. Why? Because you don't have any. Your works have merited for you the wrath of God. Are you with me? But God justifies freely as a gift by his grace. But look what he says here. He says, this happens through the redemption which is in Christ Jesus, back in verse 24. We are being justified as a gift by His grace through the redemption which is in Christ Jesus. Okay? Now he's talking about what is the nuts and bolts 
of how that grace is attained to and what that grace is, that gift of grace is that God is giving to us in justification. You see, it came through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. You see, somebody actually did merit the favor of God for me. It was Jesus, right? And He didn't only die as a penalty for the penal sanctions that I violated, but He met all the preceptive requirements of God in His perfect life so that my redemption is complete on both sides of the law, on both accounts of the law. So everything I failed to do, Christ did for me. And everything I violated, Christ paid my debt for it. Are you with me? This is the redemption which is in Christ Jesus. And that's why we also say that salvation is sola Christus. It's only in Christ. It's by Christ alone. No one else has merited the favor of God but Christ. And this again is what separates Christianity from every other religion in the world. Jesus, God the Son, incarnate as a man, lived a perfect life and died a death for me before God. That's the only way I can be reconciled to God. And it's the free gift of God by His grace. Are you with me? The way I receive that is by faith. See now where the merit lies. I believe that's a question on your hand out there too. It is in the redemption which is in Christ Jesus. Here, now get this, here the being justified as a gift by His grace is merited by the redemption. Okay? Of course here the term redemption speaks of a price paid for the debt. It is a monetary term. Redemption is something you pay for. You pay to redeem. Okay? And so he is talking about this redemption which is in Christ Jesus. Therefore, the being justified as a gift by His grace is provided by the price which was paid by Christ Jesus. Consider here also the word through. Right? He says that it is through the redemption. The object of this adverb is the clause being justified as a gift by His grace. You see what he's saying? Being justified as a gift by His grace is through the redemption that is in Christ. You understand? We get this free gift of justification by God's grace through what Christ has accomplished in His redemption. Okay? It's, it's the means. Christ's redemption is the means that God can declare us just. Okay? Therefore, justification is a gift provided through Christ's redemption. That's what Paul is saying in verse 24. Justification is a gift provided through Christ's redemption. Okay? See here again, therefore, that justification is not merited by any form of good works or obedience to the law, but is through faith and is received as a gift by His grace and provided through the redemption which is in Christ Jesus. I marvel at how any serious Bible student could look at these verses of Scripture and come up with any other doctrine than the pure gospel of God, which is that justification happens by faith as a free gift. How could you possibly 
Turn these words on their head. They're so clear. And Paul repeats the same point again and again and again through this passage. In fact, the entire chapter, Romans chapter 4, is, is Paul standing on his soapbox, yelling at the top of his lungs, trying to make the point that, that righteousness comes by faith. As if he didn't say it enough times here in this passage, in very clear terms, right? So, it's, uh, uh, what I'm saying is, family, look at these glorious words. God is telling us that salvation is a free gift. Okay? God is telling us that we are justified by faith in Christ. We now enter into that state of justification whereby God has declared us just, righteous in His sight. He's declaring us righteous. And it's His righteousness. It's the righteousness that He provided Himself. Remember the life of Abraham? On the mount of the Lord it shall be provided. It was provided for us through Christ. Glorious words. Now he's going to go into a little bit more depth about what this whole thing about Christ's redemption is. And he says in verse 25, Whom, that is Christ, God displayed publicly as a propitiation in his blood through faith. Paul now points to the redemption price which was paid by Christ Jesus. The whom speaks of Christ. That's a question on your handout. But notice here that it was God who displayed publicly Christ. You see that? Who put Christ on the cross? God is the primary cause, right? The hands of godless men was the means by which he used to accomplish it. But here the scripture says God displayed Christ publicly as a propitiation. God put Christ on display as a propitiation. That is an amazing thing to consider. It was God reconciling us to himself by a propitiation in his blood. You understand? The cross was the act of God. Remember I told you the reason for the whole creation to be created was a stage on which he could live out the passion at the cross because it was there that God chose to reveal his glory in its most intense form. Are you with me? So that I was telling you when we first started this lesson several weeks back that this was one of the main reasons why God created the entire creation. So that Christ could die on Calvary. Because that was God's purpose from the beginning. Are you with me? And those godless men carried out those things by the predetermined counsel and foreknowledge of God. Are you with me? That's Acts 2.23. Or Acts 4.27 and 28 says the same thing. But the point is just that this was God putting Christ on display. Now, think about what this says. It says, whom God displayed publicly. Okay, that's the other thing. This was a public thing that God did. He did this for all the world to see. Right? And preachers have been telling us about it for 2,000 years now. And uh, furthermore, it is written. 
Amen? Amen? We have a record of it here. A very reliable record, I might add. Okay? But the, um, think about this. God displayed him publicly, but look what Paul calls it here. As a propitiation. As a propitiation. Now, do you remember last year when we were studying the atonement? We kind of went into this whole thing about propitiation and what it means. And that here in this verse, the word propitiation is used in a very specific way. Okay? That God displayed publicly as a propitiation in his blood through faith. Well, here propitiation speaks of an atoning sacrifice which was placed on an altar. This atoning sacrifice propitiates God's holy wrath towards sin, which means it satisfies or appeases God's holy anger because of sin. So you have to understand, sometimes in the New Testament when the word propitiation is used, it, it means to, to propitiate. Okay? Here it does not mean that. Here what it means is the actual atoning victim that is on the altar. Christ is the actual atoning victim that is on the altar that was displayed publicly by God. Are you with me? And if you will, it does propitiate. <laughs> or should we say, he does propitiate the wrath of God. Right? Now remember this thing about propitiation when we were talking about the atonement. Propitiation is not something that happens toward us. Propitiation is something that happens toward God. God is the one who is incessantly angry with sin. God has holy anger towards sin. Okay? And what a propitiation does, it's a satisfaction of that anger of God. It is an appeasement of the anger of God. Propitiation is toward God. It's propitiating God. God is the one who is propitiated, not man. You understand? We receive the benefits of it, but God is the one who is propitiated. So now you have God putting an atoning sacrifice on an altar in order to satisfy or appease his own wrath. That's what Paul is saying. That God has displayed publicly as a propitiation in his blood through faith. Okay? Something very important to understand. I know this is one of those more wordy places of Scripture. But as we take it apart here, you can, you can see the flow of this. But that Greek word that's used for propitiation is the word hilasterion. You remember us talking about that? Hilasterion. And it means an atoning victim. Okay? But it has a further translation. You know what that is? The lid of the ark. Weird. An atoning victim... The lid of the ark? What is that? Well, let me explain. It's the atoning victim that covers over. Are you with me? It's, it's the victim that covers. It's the object of what's happening on that altar that covers over what? The wrath of God. It's an atoning victim that covers over the wrath of God. That's who Christ Jesus is. He is the propitiation himself. He's the victim. He's the one on the altar dying personally for me and for you. Are you with me? And so our gospel is very personal, isn't it? Jesus died for me. And he died for you. Amen? 
That is, if you trust him. And so, if you will, this um, atoning sacrifice does exactly that. It propitiates God's holy wrath towards sin. Which means it satisfies or appeases God's holy anger because of sin. To state this another way, God sacrificed Christ publicly to appease his own holy wrath. That's what it's saying. God sacrificed Christ publicly to appease his own holy wrath. Okay? Now Paul is telling us what are the nuts and bolts of this gospel that this justification that we receive as a gift by his grace came at a very costly price, didn't it? The redemption which is in Christ Jesus. Namely, that he was put forth publicly as a propitiation, an atoning victim, a sacrifice. Christ was put forth as a blood sacrifice for my sin. Are you with me? Do you remember how I was explaining to you when we talked about the atonement that the family heads of the tribes every day of atonement would come to the tabernacle to present their sacrifice? Do you remember that? And, and um, when they brought their sacrifice... I was telling you that it was not the priest that sacrificed the lamb, but that it was the man himself who had to take that lamb by the head and slit his throat and drain the life's blood out of that animal. And he was offering that animal for his own sin and for the sins of his family. And this is a very personal thing. You understand? This is a very personal thing. And so it is with Christ Jesus. He is the atoning victim that was a blood sacrifice for Sean's sin. Christ was a blood sacrifice for me to appease the wrath of God because I had inflamed the anger of God. Christ died for me. You understand? It's a serious thing. Sin is a serious thing, family. That lamb that's dying on the cross of Calvary is dying because of sin. My sin. My treasonous acts against God. And let me tell you, that makes Christ a very personal Savior for me. Amen? Are you with me? This is what Paul says, that this propitiation is in his blood. It's in his blood, right? The terms in his blood speak of Christ being a blood sacrifice that appeases the holy God to provide the justification that is received by faith. God is he who requires blood. That comes from Psalm 9.12. There the Lord himself is, is called by this name. He who requires blood. And, and that is because the wages of sin is death. And without the death of someone, sin cannot be atoned for because without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness or remission of sins. And that's what Hebrews 9.22 tells us. You see, once we've sinned, family, without the shedding of blood, there's no remission of sin. Somebody's got to die. You know, you've sinned against God. Somebody's got to die here. Either you're going to die for your sins or Christ is going to die for your sins. But somebody's going to die for your sins. Are you with me? It's a serious matter. 
It is a serious and a weighty matter. In fact, it is the most serious and the most weighty matter that there is. Especially in regard to your relationship to God. Amen? But here's what God says. He says, without the shedding of blood, there'll be no remission of sin. Someone is going to die for your sins. And that's why if if someone doesn't receive the justification that comes by faith as a gift by God's grace in Christ, there's no other way for them to be justified. So what's going to happen? They're going to die for their sins. Paul describes that in 2 Thessalonians chapter 1 as being shut out from the presence of God in eternal destruction, away from the majesty of his power. That's what Paul calls it. Jesus calls it outer darkness, where the worm never dies and the fire is never quenched. That's what death is. Death is being separated from the life of God. And so Paul makes this point that this propitiation is in Christ's blood because God requires blood for sin. And that is the means by which this justification is purchased. It's a redemption. It's a purchase price. Christ purchased our redemption. God gives it to us as a gift by his grace. The purchase price is the blood of Christ. Amen? And that's why it's so precious. It's the only way we can be saved. Amen? These are glorious truths. Notice again Paul's emphasis on faith. Look what he says there. He says, Whom God displayed publicly as a propitiation in his blood through faith. He's repeating it again. Now how many times has he told us that already? Right? You know, he just, he has to keep pounding this thing home. Jesus died as the sacrifice, Paul says, through faith. Through faith, Christ is a propitiation. He's not a propitiation any other way. The only way you can receive that atoning victim on that altar is through faith. The only way that the blood gets applied to your doorpost so the death angel won't come visit your house is through faith. Understand? Faith is the conduit that we receive justification by. And let me tell you, once that blood's on that doorpost, ain't no death angel coming here. You understand? It's a fixed, objective seal on the door of your house. And when the death angel comes, he sees it and he says, No, this is one of his. Amen? Are you with me? Isn't any story in there about erasing the blood on the doorpost? It doesn't happen. You understand? We could go there, but we are out of time. So then, I want to make sure that we understand Paul's main point in these verses we looked at. Salvation is a, I'm sorry, justification is a gift. By the grace of God. It's a free gift. God gives it gratuitously, right? And it is received through faith. And it was purchased by the redemption which is in Christ Jesus. Namely, the propitiation through His blood. In His blood. Amen? You with me? Family, that's the heart of the gospel right there.
Let me sum it up another way. Jesus paid it all. All to Him I owe. You with me? Let's pray. God, our Father, I pray for insight, God. For all who have heard these words today, God. Shine the light of your truth in their hearts, God. Cause them to see and grasp the depth of this. Cause them to grasp the reality of this. Cause them to grasp the freedom of these words, God. Cause them to grasp the power of these words. We thank you, Lord, that there is power in the blood. We honor and we bless you for this gracious gift that you give us. And God, I pray for everyone in the hearing of my voice that we would treasure it more than anything in the world. We thank you, God, for all that you are to us. Lord, may Jesus, the Lamb, receive the reward of his suffering in devotion from our own hearts. May we love you, God, and your Son, Jesus, with all that is within us. God, may we treasure Christ. May he be our treasure, God. Father, only you can do this by your Spirit. And so we ask it. And we thank you for the privilege of it. Because of Jesus' precious blood. Amen.